and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, flying solo for today's interview, and I'm very happy for today's episode because it features two of my good friends, the hosts of the Ink and Paint Girls podcast, Cassie Soliday and Katya Bowser. Now, Cassie is a script coordinator for Wild Canary, and Katya is a storyboard artist for Wild Canary. And today we discuss, and today we discuss two important topics in the industry: marriage and family, and the television animation production pipeline. Now, many of you out there have asked us, is it even possible to have a relationship and to get married and to raise a family? while working in the animation industry. The hours are long, you're constantly looking for a job once your show goes on hiatus, or you're looking for a movie to work on, or you're working on personal projects, or you're trying to pay off student loans, or you're just trying to stay afloat and even get into the industry. And it's a source of, unfortunately, a great deal of stress and a great deal of anxiety. And that's the reason why I wanted to bring both Cassie and Katya on the show. Cassie is married to someone who works in the industry, and Katya is married to a professional musician, and Katya and her husband also have a young daughter. So both Cassie and Katya are prime examples that yes, you can have a relationship, you can get married, you can have a successful career. They are examples that it is possible to have a family and have a career. And we wanted to talk about it because there's ups and downs, there's good things, there's struggles, but it is doable. So they discussed that in detail. And then for part two of our episode, they discussed the television animation production pipeline. So for all of you out there who are wondering, how is an animated show even made? What's the difference between pre-production, production, post-production? Where do I fit? What will I be doing if I'm working in production? What will I be doing if I work in design? What will I be doing if I work in post? Cassie and Katya break that down so that you can see how you fit within the industry and why it's important for all of the pieces to work together effectively and in harmony to create a wonderful show. So I'm very happy to have both of them on the show. They're excellent guests and I know that you're going to enjoy everything they have to say. So without further ado, I'm happy to present episode 88, Your Animated Life Part 3, Marriage, Family, and the Animation Production Pipeline with Cassie Soliday and Katya Bowser. All right, so we are here today with two of my very good friends. So glad to have both of you here. Please introduce yourselves so that the audience at home can distinguish between your voices. I'm Katya Bowser. And I'm Cassie Soliday. Excellent. And you may have heard their voices on the Ink and Paint Girls podcast, which is an awesome podcast that celebrates women in the animation industry. And right now they're actually doing a series on parenting, which is one of the reasons that we have brought both of you here today. Today's episode is going to focus on marriage and family and dating and parenting. And then the second half is going to focus on animation production. So the reason why we decided to have this topic and have these conversations is I've had a lot of conversations with people at all levels of the industry, ranging from interns to you know storyboard artists and production coordinators and writers and whatnot. And especially where dating and family is concerned, a lot of people have this existential dread 
of just <laughs> even how do I even find someone? And then if I find someone, how will we pay for a wedding? How will we survive as a couple? And then if we want to have kids, how does that even work? Because right now I'm paying off student loans and I'm living off of ramen and the idea of taking care of anyone but myself just seems very daunting. <laughs> so I just wanted to hear from the two of you how y'all have tackled these issues. Let me start with you, Cassie, because okay. both you and your husband work in the animation industry. So oh. I feel like there's a level of understanding about how everything works that both of you have. So I was wondering if you could just briefly tell us, you know, how you guys met and then how y'all got together and then how you've been able to support yourselves on your mutual journey together. Okay. So I met him when I was an intern at Nick and he was a CG finaler on the show that I was on. So like there's weirdness right there where like, oh, you like someone who works there and you know, but you're an intern and just the inner office dating is weird in general. Either way. I um, basically told him that I liked him at the end of my internship because I was like, I have a week left, so it doesn't matter <laughs> after that. And, you know, I'll never have to see him again if he doesn't feel the same way. And he totally Han Soloed me. He was just like, I had a feeling, and then he walked away. So I was like, okay. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> All right. Ouch. <laughs> but we were friends, so, like, we kept talking and stuff. We didn't actually get together for another year and a half, and we just became friends first. So that's how we we met and, and got together. And we both had like a mutual love of Disneyland and I worked there and he came there a lot. So it just kind of, I think more fate happened, you know, because <laughs> Disneyland was the job that I took just to stay out here to like try to break into the industry proper. So that's how we did it. And I think he wasn't, because he can be kind of aloof sometimes. I think some guys can be. And he was so focused on his career that dating hadn't even occurred to him. You know what I mean? So that was kind of like our challenge. I was like, I really like him, but I was also hurting from a previous relationship, so I didn't like press it further. And also I'm trying to break into an industry, so I don't know, there's just a lot of things happening at once, you know? How were you able to make that balance? Because I think that's been the number one question that we've gotten from people is, a lot of people, they know that eventually they wanna meet somebody, a lot of them want to get married, some of them want to have kids, but they don't know how to get that over that initial hurdle of how do I find someone while also trying to break into the industry. So how are you able to accomplish that? Well, we had a lot of similar interests. Like we both liked animation, so when an animated movie came out, we'd go and see it together. Or um, like there'd be like a gallery showing like at Disneyland or somewhere downtown LA and we would orchestrate us to both go to it because it was in line with our interests. Um, if there was like Q&As that were of interest to both of us, we'd go there. I mean, I guess the way we did it is we just became really good friends that were helping each other in our career and trying to like develop outside because I mean, my priorities at that time was animation, <laughs> you know, and then secondarily was affording my rent, probably, or maybe it was affording rent. Like those switch depending on when rent is due. And I mean, sometimes you'd be surprised how things just work out when you least expect it. Cause like I pushed and pushed for him because I was like, I really like you and I can't stop thinking about you. And I feel like an idiot because you're, you don't want to date anybody. And when I stopped pursuing him, that's when he realized that he's an idiot. And then he had to start <laughs> pursuing me. <laughs> and so we went back and forth like that. And I think eventually it just worked out to where we're both like, okay, we can't ignore our feelings for each other. And then we worked it out. Okay. But up until that point, I don't know, because it's hard because, like, you, I mean, 
I think a lot of people I know, I just like wanted someone that I could go to for emotional support because like life is really hard. And when you're out of college and trying to get that next job, which you thought was just going to be automatic, it's really hard. And you start, I started to really doubt myself and my skills and my skills were not where they needed to be. They still aren't, (laughs) but you really like undervalue what you do have because you're not where you feel you should be. So... I think it was good that like our relationship didn't like work out from the very start because that allowed me to like really do some introspection uh, to make me stronger and just be okay with who I am and like realize this is what I have so what can I do with this and then you add to it as you go along and when we finally got together I have to say like I was really relieved because like I was just like okay at least one person values me (laughs) you know what I mean but you have to value yourself first I think. Because I think drama comes up in relationships a lot and it's usually because there's so many insecurities playing around. And I'm not saying we don't have them, but we talk about them. That's good to hear. And so, Katya, let me hear from you because your story is a little bit different. So you met your husband prior to coming to California and working in the industry. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. We met. I'm from Florida. We met in Florida. Like, I was in high school. He He was homeschooled, so he was, like, technically in college, but, like, definitely of the high school age and so before I even started college we got together dating and then I knew it was going to college for animation so it was kind of like I'm going to college like I like you but I'm doing my thing and then he just kind of followed me along and then <laughs> I think it just kind of continued like that it was like you know when I graduated I was like I definitely well I got married in college so I got married super young uh, I was 19 he was 21 just because I don't know I guess it just worked out that way for us I never really thought of it as a we are like, oh my gosh, you're so young. And other people definitely had that opinion, but we were like, we know what we want. We're good. We're going to make this work. So, yeah, that wasn't like a huge issue. But anyways, so we got married while I was in college, and then we just kind of kept supporting each other and sticking with each other from then. I was definitely more driven and clear with what I wanted to do, which was animation. And he's he went to college for music, and he knew he wanted something to do with music like maybe writing music maybe performing he was just kind of not really sure about it so for I guess, guess the most of the beginning of my career he just kind of supported me because I knew exactly what I wanted and it was just kind of worked out easier that way so you know we both came across the country together and moved to California we struggled out here you know living in dinky apartments tiny places uh, taking all kinds of part-time jobs and freelance nonsense and yeah we definitely just really worked it out to help each other out. And my husband's great and he really stepped it up for us when I became pregnant because I was still only freelancing. So just random odd job here and there. Hadn't broken into the industry yet. And at that time I really needed to kind of like take it slower and not take as many freelance jobs because I was getting bigger and bigger every day. And you know, that pregnancy brings all kinds of like, you know, tiredness, sickness. Like I was, I had, like the morning sickness thing for like the first six months, like it lasted a long time. And I was like throwing up every day, like smells, which is like, oh, please don't cook anything in the house because I'm just going to barf. And it was was not a fun early pregnancy for me. So he took a lot of jobs to help support me and the baby. And I really appreciate the sacrifice he made for us for that. And then I continued to, when she was born, I still stayed with her home for I think a year and a half. He continued to work all kinds of jobs at all crazy hours. And I stayed home and supported Melody, my daughter. And I started picking up freelance work again. So was doing my best, trying to make it work. Of like, Cause I really knew I, I still wanted to make it in the industry. Like I wasn't, I didn't want to just 
give up on my dream because I knew I was close and I had lots of people supporting me and like believing in me. And it's like, no, I can still do it. I just got to do it in a different timeline than I thought originally. So I just kept at it. And then, yeah, at the year and a half mark was when I landed my first full-time job in the industry. And then, oh yeah, and then my husband and I did switch. So he decided to stay at home and I went to work full-time, which that worked out because we were looking into daycare options. Daycare is expensive, especially for infants. Like it gets a little bit cheaper when they're in like the toddler preschool age, but babies, it's, oof, it's a lot of money. So for him to have kept his jobs and us still put her in daycare, it was like all of his job money would have gone to daycare. So we're like, this is, this doesn't make sense for our family. We'd rather just have him home because he's hasn't been home that much since he was working so much. So he's like, I'm going to take a break from working and I'll stay home and spend time with my daughter. And so, yeah, it worked out for us to make that switch. And now he's starting to pick up um, some stuff on his own. Uh, he's kind of has more of a vision of what he wants to do musically. Like he wants to compose. So um, my daughter's in preschool now. So now when she's in preschool, he tries to pick up some work, like either recording sessions with people because he's really good at playing the piano or uh, writing music on his own uh, for friends' pilots or just whatever anyone needs. So I'm happy that now that like I have work, I can kind of help support him in that way to where he can take on you know jobs that, or at least do his music without have to worry about supporting us, you know, because I got it taken care of. We're good. So a lot of back and forth and super amazing husband for taking care of me and Melody for so long. That's wonderful. That is very awesome. And I have a lot of questions about (laughs) the childcare aspect and switching roles and taking care of that. We will definitely come to that very soon. But I want to take a step back and you were talking about when you were in Florida, you know, you and your husband are married and then you moved out here. What was that conversation like? Was that something that you knew from the get go? yes, I need to move to California to get a job? Or were you all planning to stay in Florida? And were you planning to find animation jobs in Florida and him music jobs for a while? I think we knew eventually we'd head out to California, but we wanted to try Florida first. And at the time, there was like a couple studios in Florida, but they all closed down real fast. And so we're like, well, guess it's time to pack up and go to California because there's nothing left here. So that's when we started just saving up and selling things so we could make the move. So a little bit of both, like we tried a little bit because there was like, you know, I think it was Digital Domain was like in Florida for like a tiny bit. It's like, oh, well, there's a studio in Florida, let's try this. And like, oh, make my family happy. It'll make everyone happy if we can stay in Florida. But what they closed down fast, that didn't last long. So then we were like, well, that's not gonna work. So time for plan B and let's just go to California. What was that conversation? Was it a, a hard conversation between the two of you? Or was it just a series of, we know we need to do this. This isn't even a thing that we really have to discuss a whole lot. Yeah, I don't think it was like a hard thing. Like we just, we knew that that's where the work was. And we just knew that we were going to be led that way. So it wasn't hard for us as much, probably harder for our family to let us leave and to see us go. because. They couldn't take care of us anymore because they were helping us at that time when we were trying to save money. Like we just we moved back in with them to just throw everything we can in our savings account. So they were sad to see us go, and I mean they were trying real hard. Like oh, Seth can work here. Seth can work here. You can do all this stuff. And I'm just like, 
no, we need to go to California. Like, that's, that's where the jobs are. And he's just like, yep, that's where we're going. So we kind of knew, and it wasn't like a, a tough thing that we had discussed. Like, we just, we just do it. That's where, that was the move for us. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering about that, because I know yeah. that it's different for different people. We have a lot of people that live out of state that are wondering about moving to LA Mm -hmm. and that's that can be more of it's not just a challenge for you and your family but if you have a significant other also it's like are you coming with me or how are we going to do this yeah Yeah. it seems like it'd be vastly different if uh Seth's goal wasn't out here you know yeah like music there's so much out here for him yeah it definitely helps that he can compose or you know record and do stuff out here so he was like oh yeah like that could work for me too like he could find work so it made sense for us so yeah, it was an easy easy decision, but obviously difficult to enact and plan, yeah. and lots of steps and you know saving and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it sounds like step one, know yourself. Yes. Step two, <laughs> find a supportive person. Step three, make sure that your supportive person can also have work. Yes. So that it's not just you moving out here and yeah. they're like, well, I I have a job. We do it all day, and they're going. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the other thing is that jobs change, though. You know, because some people aren't like so specific about the industry they're working in, and they're just like, whatever job, I just want to have a good life. You know, mm-hmm. I've run into those people, and I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> but like, there are people that that's their priority in life, mm-hmm. or whatever they're doing. Like your husband Seth, there's different things they can do in different states. Like mm-hmm. I have friends that work in finance or work in insurance. Everybody needs an accountant. Everybody needs insurance. You can do that in all 50 states. So their significant other, their spouse is going to be fine no matter where they go. So that's important. So I want to we'll get back, like I said, to child care in a minute because that's its own topic that I want to tackle. But I also want to talk about balancing time with your spouse and just how you do that because this industry... Probably any job can do this, but especially with animation, depending on what you want your job to do, it can almost never end. I mean, you can go home and be working on your portfolio, be working on your script, be working on your short or your children's book. So how do you not do that and set aside time for another person? I'm really terrible at that because I have all these projects on the side and working on my writing portfolio and doing comics, etc. Like... Uh, Matt and I don't actually get a ton of time together because of that because I'm like no I gotta do this but then sometimes it's like we have dinner and then we watch something on Netflix and then I'm like he's like you should go do your thing and I'm like no just one more episode <laughs> so it depends on like I guess the day of course if it was a really hard day I don't really want to look at anything creative or if I'm just like because, you know, I'm still in production full-time. I freelance write, but it's very, very random. And so it's like, I got to do something for me to make the day job feel less terrible. And it really depends on emotion and, like, the day and how satisfied I am at work or how I'm being treated or, you know, or feel like I'm being treated. I would say that I try to keep the weekends pretty free to spend time with him. Um, And then the weeknights, that's kind of what we've came to agree on is that weeknights, like let's full force work on our own stuff. We'll have dinner, maybe watch like a 30 minute sitcom or something. And then on the weekends, let's take a day trip to like Laguna Beach or, you know, go like a portion of the one, you know, the Pacific Coast Highway, just like to get out or go see a museum or zoo, aquarium, et cetera. So that's kind of how we've been doing it. Okay. It's, definitely difficult now in this stage of life with 
children as well, or child as well. <laughs> I only have one. So I don't know that we have, like, a perfect balance or, like, it's, I feel like it's still something we're figuring out how to do. Because even, like, currently days, like, you know, I go to work, come home, and then we're all, like, you know, together, awake at night, eat dinner, put the baby to bed. And then at that point, we're exhausted. So if there's, like, enough energy to we'll play, like, a board game or something, or if Netflix is on, I am, like, out in, like, 30 minutes. Like, I'm so tired. <laughs> and, it just melts you to sleep. <laughs> yeah. And then the weekends is usually, I guess we usually do like family stuff on the weekends um, or hanging out with friends. Um, then if it lines up to where there's nothing going on on one night and we can find a babysitter, everything has to line up together to be perfect. And then we're like, okay, we can go out together <laughs> and just have like time with the two of us. And those are nice, but they're currently few and far between. And this is not like me complaining, like, you know, on a podcast or anything, but just it's just it's a difficult struggle because you like not only do you have to spend time with your spouse but like with your child and then you know if I have like I don't right currently I don't really do a lot of side projects because I've just kind of been chilling out and trying to focus like on spending time with my family so it's something has to give usually so when I'm ready to start building up doing a comic again or whatever I'm gonna end up spending less time with somebody so I just kind of have to pick and choose when that's going to be a good time and for the most part I just kind of feel like on a day-to-day basis like have I spent enough time with you guys today yet or like in general like do we need kind of a connecting moment or and too like you know just having conversations like we'll talk to each other and be like hey we haven't gone out in a while maybe we should try to work it out to where we can find a babysitter for like you know we're going to be free like next Thursday so let's You'll go ahead and try to find someone now because we know that we have nothing then and make things work. And yeah, it's hard. It takes a lot of communication, but it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I've come to realize that there are seasons for things. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's seasons where like you want to work harder, but then you get a little burnt out and then that's when you kind of veg out <laughs> yeah. or go like exploring the world a little more. And then there's some times where, you know, just being in the same room, working on your own things is enough of um like time together like you don't Mm -hmm. have to be talking or actively doing things together you can just be there and feel supported that way as well yeah for sure it sounds like there's no perfect system too and i think that's probably what trips people up is they have this image in their mind of when everything is perfect it will look like this and everything will be perfectly balanced and that doesn't exist i've never met that's just (laughs) not human it's not humanly possible to have everything be perfect everything in alignment yeah. everything to work out and you mentioned something Katya which I think is very very important there are two things you know you talked about how important communication is which it just is like super super vital and you also said that if you're doing one thing that means you're not doing something else mm-hmm. so you have to decide okay am I gonna do this or am I gonna do this? So if I do this over here, this won't be, get done. Am I okay with that? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like in your case, I could work on this comic or I could spend time with my child. You know, Cassie, in your case, I could work on my script or I could spend some time with my husband who I haven't got to talk to in a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's just a like a day-to-day, where am I today kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, and it definitely depends on like your partner and yeah. That was very good to hear. So let's talk then about 
we're going to focus on you a little bit here, Katya, about <laughs> children and childcare, because I'm very interested in hearing about this. If you don't mind mentioning, and you don't have to, we can cut this part out if you like, what is the range for daycare? Because that's something that I feel like people need to know. Currently, for my daughter's preschool, she's Monday, Wednesday, Friday for three hours in the afternoon. And that's costing us about three something a month. And that's on the cheap side. Like, I think we lucked out. I've seen similar hours cost at least like $600 for that. Mm -hmm. It definitely ranges depending on how much care you need. Like if you're, you know, if you don't have a parent staying at home, then you need someone to watch your kid full time every day. And that can definitely run more to like basically a second rent every month. So it's, it's a wide range can be you know, a few hundred extra bucks, or it could be like a thousand bucks a month that you're paying just for someone to watch your child. And then it can change to, um, like, you know, that's for small kids. When they go to school, thankfully, you know, if you're in the public school system, you know, public school's free, but then kids are out at like three o'clock and everybody works till at least six. So you then you have to pay for after-school care. I don't know the specific costs on that, but I do know just it is a common problem for parents like a friend of ours there they need to find somebody to pick up their kid and watch their kid until they get off of work so there's programs like I think the YMCA will do like a van that goes around and picks up kids the boys and girls clubs and then some also some the Burbank schools they'll have like an after-school care program but there's like so many kids in the Burbank school that those can get pretty competitive too so it's a lot and you definitely have to do your research have you ever had to bring Melody to work, whether she was sick or you just had to pick her up early? Not currently. I haven't like taken her to work and just like taken care of her at work. There's a time that I think I mentioned, like on, I think like I, I mentioned think like on our podcast. Nick, yeah, right? I was um, freelancing and I couldn't find anyone to watch Melody for the time that I need to just go in and pick up the work and have a check in. So I did just bring her in with me there and and no one cared like they're all happy to see her no she was like four months old she's a little baby and just had her strapped in the little kangaroo pack thing i it's any more than just you know like 30 minutes i don't i can't speak to that experience yeah because i've seen people do it and i was i would love to know like how the production like how it seemed like the production felt about like them bringing their kid in I know people have had to do it before. I've never <laughs> seen it. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the most I've ever seen, which doesn't quite count, is I've seen, like, upper-level people, like the showrunners, bring in their kid for an hour, mm-hmm. but it's to show their child, this is what mommy and daddy does all day. Mm-hmm. This is how I run a show. Yeah. And they'll take them to meetings just... And usually it's an older kid, so it'll be a kid in... Because I've seen this at Nick, and I saw this at Pixar, where the kid's, like, in middle school or high school and so I get the impression that it's more of hey mom or dad I want to see what you do because I'm potentially interested in this as a career Mm -hmm. so they're bringing them just to show them day-to-day stuff and then they go home yeah you know I've never seen them bring them it's like here's here's my kid they're gonna hang out with me for a little bit yeah at Disney there was this uh, storyboard director he his kid was sick and vomiting and so he he had to go bring him in because Mm -hmm. you know his wife also worked in the industry and she couldn't do it, so he vomited all over this couch. Oh, no. <laughs> but like, I don't know. Working in production on that show, like, it was fine. But he also had an office, you know, uh-huh. so mm-hmm. that so made just a be difference. Like, hey, just come in, lay down on the couch. Dad's got some work. Yeah, we'll go home soon. 
Luckily, kind of he deal. was four and kind of listened. Yeah, <laughs> four kind of small. Actually, I do have a question, though, about um, do studios offer any type of parent credit, like any type of tax incentive or any help with child care? Or do, any of the stu- do you know if any of the studios have on set, like, child care? Because I know that ILM has some kind of, like, child care program. Because I remember talking to someone there who sh- her child was in, like, the ILM's, like, child care. And then mm-hmm. Pixar had a place where a lot of the kids could go. So it wasn't part of the studio, but I think it was, like, a lot of people just brought their kids there type mm-hmm. of situation. Any of the studios you guys know if they I have think, anything like I that? I feel like during orientation at Disney, they mentioned that there was child care, but it mm-hmm. was, like, on a different lot than where, like, mm-hmm. I was stationed. And obviously I didn't need it at the time, so... I didn't pay attention, <laughs> but yeah, they had it like on the main lot and they also had like a fitness center and stuff like that, but you had to pick them up at a certain time, which for the more corporate people that were on that specific lot, like that worked for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I feel like that would be, if you're listening studios, I feel like that would be a really good <laughs> thing to yeah. have on site childcare, mm-hmm. even if it's something that you have to pay for out of pocket that the studio is not taking care of. Cause I can just foresee that resulting in people not worrying about their kids, helping to retain employees, people being there on time. If your child is sick, it's still okay. You know, I feel like that would just help with anxiety and productivity for both mm-hmm. moms and dads. And it builds loyalty. Yeah. yeah. Well, because you know it's like, oh, I can stay here because my child is here and taken care of, so I'm not going to necessarily look at some other company because this company offers this. Mm-hmm. Just a note, studios, if you're listening. Childcare, please. Childcare, please. <laughs> please. Yeah, you also mentioned competitive schools and, like, after-school programs. How does that work? Is that a thing where you have to, like, the parents and the kid have to interview with people to get in? It's not qualifications competitive. It's you have to be the first to sign up competitive. Ah, okay. First come, first serve. There you go. So it's just there because – People who can go to the Burbank schools, anyone who lives in Burbank, and anyone who works in Burbank. So it's just a lot of children coming in, trying, and needing to come into the schools here. So it just, just a lot of people who need care. And said most of it is just me from an observational point, like looking at, because there's, there's like a Facebook group for like moms in Burbank, and like they're always, you know, make sure you be there, like, you know, at 9 a.m., and make sure you sign up for this lottery, and like, oh, like, I, si- I try to sign up for this, like, there's, like, a pre-kinder program called, like, TK. I, I don't know what, what they Yeah, it's, like, if you're not old enough to be in kindergarten, but, like, you will be in a couple months, you're in this, like, pre-kindergarten. And apparently even that, like, I don't know, you have to, like, sign up your kid for certain things, and it's, like, if you don't sign them up early enough, then you'll just, like, miss out, or you'll be on so a waiting stressful. list for things for, like, ever. And, yeah, I just, the impression that I'm getting from everyone else freaking out about stuff is, like, oh, man. It's hard to get into things, and a lot of people are left like just not knowing what to do because everything is full all the time. Mm. So, I mean, it's like that even with daycares. Like, remember, I definitely started searching way too late for daycares because when I started researching, all the advice was like, you need to start like putting your, na- your name on wait lists when you're pregnant for Whoa, daycare. What? And I'm just like, How? I wasn't even thinking about would... daycare when I was pregnant. Like, That's... wow, that seems really early. Like the best places like they'll have like a year waiting list to get into their daycares and stuff what's considered the best like what's what is that because i mean in my mind i'm thinking (laughs) place is safe nobody's going to abuse my child the other children aren't going to beat my child my child will be fed my child will get their naps 
Clearly, there's more to it than that, though. Like, what's considered a really good place? I guess all those things and like well reviewed and everybody likes it. So it's kind of it's definitely a lot of word of mouth in the mom community. Ah. So if everyone really trusts one place, then everyone else is going to want to send their kid to that place because everyone knows it's really good. So so and there's different like different preschools have like different teaching styles. So some people like want more play-based stuff some people want more like stem stuff some people want more like the montessori thing and so there's lots of different paths to go down and where you want to put your kid in preschool because they might learn in five million different ways what is montessori honestly i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i know people have gone to montessori and i've never gotten a straight answer as to what that actually is i think they like the wooden blocks right they like wooden toys and that's about as much as i know (laughs) okay Wooden block based play. Okay. Wow. Right. When you're <laughs> Don't pregnant, take my word on that. <laughs> that's that sounds so stressful because I imagine when you're pregnant, you're just trying to just stay healthy and get sleep and just eat and do okay, not thinking. Okay, so when my kids in kindergarten, what kindergarten are they going to go to? Unborn kid. Like, <laughs> that just seems like yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's it is a lot. I remember, I was in an exercise group. You ever seen those like women like? doing exercises on their strollers I did that for a little bit (laughs) and the women in there were talking too about how like she you know she did that she would try to get in a waiting list um, when she was pregnant and still like it was a few months before the waiting list opened so she had to get a nanny for those few months that she was working and then like to transition to being able to put their kid into the daycare so that's a you know if you nothing else works you might just have to get a nanny which that I don't know how much it costs because I haven't hired one, but you're you're paying somebody's full-time salary if you're hiring them every day, all day for an entire week. So that's definitely another cost to take into consideration if you just want someone to come to your home and take care of your child there. I will say in Los Angeles, though, just because there's so many gig-to-gig economy kind of people, you know, people pursuing acting mm-hmm. that, like, want the flexibility during the day to go to um, auditions, I've met a lot of people who do, like, the afternoon nanny thing mm-hmm. so that they have the morning and noon. Yeah. But, of course, those are the people that probably won't be as loyal <laughs> and will, like, quickly, like, move on because that's not their goal. It's just helping them get to their goal. Yeah. So that's that's one thing about the afternoon stuff. And I'm sure there's a whole network of moms finding nannies as well. Oh, yeah. Just, like, a whole thing. <laughs> wow. That's a lot. <laughs> So I want to ask you, too, because you mentioned that you were applying for jobs while you were pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I know that it is against the law to not hire someone just because they're pregnant. But let's be real. People are people. People don't always do the right thing. So how did you manage that and keep up your optimism and not want to get upset at people when you were applying for jobs? And I was scared to tell anyone because I was just I didn't know what would happen. I mostly just did testing during that time, I think, so I don't think I really had any face-to-face time with anyone, but even, like, when I would go to conventions, like, I remember going to CTN that year, I wore, like, the biggest shirt I had, and so, like, my friends that knew that I was pregnant, they are like, oh my gosh, I can't even tell you're pregnant, and I'm like, I know, (laughs) that's the point, (laughs) don't spread the word, (laughs) yeah, I was just, I was really scared, and I don't know, I guess I'll never know if... I, it was that was really really found on anything because I didn't get a job while I was pregnant. I got a job, you know, after I had the baby. I'm sure there are stories of people having bad experiences and there's stories of people having good experiences. So it's really a toss up. You don't really know which way things are going to go. So you can, I think you can just decide for yourself. Like, 
if that's something you want to share with people up front or if you want to just kind of keep it under wraps like it's your deal it's your news to share i did it out of fear so i would probably suggest don't do it out of fear like just be confident in the choice you make because things will work out either way like you know if if you got denied one job obviously that's not your fault so just move on and go to the better job later sounds good and then how does maternity and paternity care work at the studios? Like, do you guys know how much time people tend to get off or like how that works? So we interviewed uh, the family subcommittee from the Animation Guild like this past fall, and they go very into depth of what they were trying to get. I'm not sure what the outcome was, but they were fighting for like paternity leave and family leave beyond just like your child and your husband. like. You know, if you have to go take care of a family member like your mom or dad, like they were also fighting for those things. But like, um, have you heard through your network, like what people usually get? Because I feel like six weeks is what I've heard, but I'm not sure what studio that was. And yet, it seems like it's different for each person in each studio. I think you're at least, like from talking to them, like you're at least guaranteed what the state of California requires, which I think is that this six weeks maybe i don't know or is it 12 weeks maybe i meant 12 weeks someone had a baby on season one of puppy dog pals and she was gone for three months so aside from that like if your studio grants you more great if they don't then you get 12 weeks i think they did guarantee something in our new contract the guarantee that you have a, a job to come back to. Yes, that's what they did. But not if your show is ending. Yeah. Because that's one thing that happened to the person I just brought up from season one of Puppy. Like, three months was basically up to the end of how long her position would have been there. But there was something legal where they had to offer her, because we got a second se- season, they did have to offer her the job. So that, but I think that was our studio being nice. <laughs> I don't think that's like a legality, but uh, it was more they like, wanted to make sure that it wasn't a legality, so they did it, I uh, think is what it was. Was it more like, hey, we really like you and your work. We want to make sure that you in particular come back type mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Our, like Wild Canary is pretty good about that. That's good. Well, it actually speaks very highly of your coworker, so... Be an excellent coworker, whether you're pregnant or not. Yeah. And if you have to leave, they'll want you back as opposed to, oh, good, they're gone. When their time is up, we don't have to invite them yeah. to return. And I remember she was very um, good at communicating. Like, she kept in touch with our producer and the story editor. So, I mean, that helped because the story editor was her boss. Oh, that's so. good. So it wasn't gone for three months and no contact. No, no contact. Yeah. Right. So that, <laughs> they that's kept in a, contact. That's a good note. It's like even if you're on... That's actually a good note for anybody, whether yeah. it's maternity or family leave or just if you're just gone for whatever reason, don't disappear. Mm-hmm. Unless yeah. you have to. I mean, different things happen with people and they have their own lives. But if you can help not disappearing for months on end, mm-hmm. yeah. it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Don't let people forget you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's good for anything. Yeah. Not just animation. <laughs> be be a memorable it. person for good reasons. Yeah. Yes, not yes, for celebrity because yes. you shaved your head and you're walking into gas stations without shoes. Not that kind of reason. No, no. That won't get you hired again. Oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, on the mention of uh, communication, though, like 
Um, Matt and I have been talking, like, we want to start a family. So we're in the very early stages of, like, going to the doctor and, like, just making sure we're healthy. <laughs> and um, so I've been going to a lot of doctor's appointments and getting blood tests, like, pretty much, like, once a week I'm at the doctor. So I've had to, you know, keep leaving or coming in a little late or taking a longer lunch to go to these appointments because I'm trying to make them during, like, less terrible times during the day. But you know, doctor's offices are during work hours. So without like alarming my producer and my coworkers that something's wrong, but also not telling them why I'm going. Cause like they can't technically ask you mm-hmm. why you keep going to the doctor. Like it's, you can tell them, but they can't legally ask you. So I've just been like, I'm at the dentist or like I'm at the gynecologist or like, <laughs> I don't say I'm at the gynecologist. Yeah, so like, <laughs> I like, have an appointment. I have an appointment. I will be back. But that's been a little tough mm-hmm. of a challenge. Yeah. That's a good thing to note, though. Just there's appointments. Mm-hmm. You know, there's doctor's appointments. There's gyneco- I can't even say the word. Gynecological appointments? That seems like a lot of O's and L's in there. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of appointments, lots of appointments once you have the baby. Appointments for kids. You mentioned, you know, kids get sick. Having understanding employers that realize kids get sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have one friend, though, because, you know, most places I've worked, if they're like, I have kids, I have to leave on time. And then there's, like, this, like, usually this understanding that go, go, you know. But I do have this one friend who, who she's like, I have to go. And they're like, but you don't have kids. She's like, I live my life as if I had kids. Because there is, like, an inequality thing where, like, your employer might expect some someone who is single and kind of doesn't have, a like, a life, in quotes, um, over someone who does have a family and a husband and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I found that interesting. I've only seen it like through like my friends and stuff that hasn't happened at the places I've worked. But um, just something to think about when like, you know, things happen and just having the compassion for people who don't have families as well, you know? I think good compassion all around. I've been yeah. fortunate that I have my own life and my own goals outside mm-hmm. of work and that I have <laughs> employers that respect that and that don't pry, you know, but mm-hmm. they also know that I'm going to do a good job and make up the time either by coming in early or staying late other times. But it's a good thing to note. You know, if people have families, they have other priorities. If people don't have families, they have other priorities. I feel like as long as everyone's putting in the proper amount of time and getting their work done, that's what matters the yes. most and they're not slacking off while they're there. Yeah. So I'm wondering, are there any anything about having a relationship, married life, now having kids that you wish you knew before all of this came into your lives that you feel like would have helped you that you'd like to share with other people? I think for me, I wish I knew that there were other, like moms specifically in animation. Cause from the outside looking in, like if you look on Twitter, Instagram, the most active social people tend to be more of the single folk and you don't really see as much moms posting because <laughs> turns out we're busy with children. <laughs> um, so it makes sense now, but it definitely brought more fear into like my life when I was like, oh no, I'm pregnant now and I still don't have a job. You know, I'm going to have this kid. Like, is this even possible? Like, how am I going to do it? Are people going to judge me? Or like, are people like even going to like me because everyone's just single and doing things and I have to go home, take care of a baby. Like, but coming in to actually working into the industry and, they're like, there are actually a lot of moms out there. They're just working really hard and getting stuff done. And yeah, like the community is there and the support is there. So I just wish I knew that 
beforehand, so I wouldn't wasn't so afraid, um, and wasn't like afraid of it not being possible. So I would have had more confidence. No matter what stage you are in life, if you do want children at some point, or you have children now and you haven't made it in, other people are there and they're doing it. They might not be as vocal as others, um, but we're here and we're making it work. And it is possible, so you don't have to give up on your dreams or even just be like frustrated about life or whatever because people are there doing it and it's good um mine would be layoffs happen (laughs) and they're very difficult to deal with on your own and they're equally hard to deal with with another person to support so when Matt and I got engaged he was actually unemployed at that time and I still worked at Disneyland and actually the day after he asked me to marry him with no ring because we didn't have the money Like I literally got my first animation industry proper job. And then a few months later he got his and that's how we paid for the the wedding. And we kept it super cheap because we knew that his job wasn't gonna last long and neither was mine. Like we both kind of rolled off right before the wedding and that was like so hard, but things just kept working out, you know? And then he got laid off again. And then you just have to kind of like keep in mind that no matter what, like even if you're both employed, like something's gonna happen and it's always gonna be unexpected and you just have to save and you kind of have to have, you know, be on the lookout for work all along the way, which I think even being single, you kind of need to do that just to make sure you will be okay. But um, when you're thinking about taking care of two people, we have to keep each other so honest and on the ball. And it's good to have someone there to be like, remind you be like, hey, I, you roll off this summer, maybe, you know, we should both start looking for work for you. So like, we both keep an eye out for each other, which has been really helpful. And also knowing what we would do in the worst case scenario, if like, we couldn't make rent, like, what would we do? Our scenario is we would move in with his parents in Orange County. That's like our ultimate worst case scenario. And it's not happened yet. So and he's had like multiple jobs over the years. That's the one thing about production. It's kind of, you're one of the first uh, roles hired and one of the last to go. So I've been lucky in that, but because I want to be a full-time writer, that's not going to always be the case. Mm-hmm. So yeah, don't know what to expect, but we expect the unexpected. Yeah, that's smart. It just sounds like save and plan. And save. then plan and save. Yeah, and then just be okay that you can't control anything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, not all, it's not all up to you. So with that said, let's transition to part two of <laughs> this podcast today. So we're going to talk about animation production. So we've gotten a lot of questions about animation production, and it all boils down to one thing. What is it? <laughs> what is the animation production pipeline? And that question shows me that schools have not necessarily done a very good job of explaining what that is and what people in production even do. Mm-hmm. And I'm personally very curious to hear about you guys because you guys work in a different studio. All right, so let's get into part two of the podcast where we're going to talk about production. Now, as many of you out there know, every production is different. Every studio does things slightly differently. But in general, there's certain things that pretty much every place does. And the reason we're talking about the pipeline is this is usually not something that you're taught in school. I know that I was not taught production in school. The way that I found out about it was Joe Murray, who created Rocco's Modern Life and Camp Laszlo, wrote a book on animation. And in it, he had a pullout chart of how the animation (laughs) production pipeline worked. 
And that's how I learned about the animation production pipeline. So thank you very much, Joe Murray, because without that, I'd have no idea. So since all of us have been interns and worked in production or worked on the art side in Katya's case, that we could talk about it a little bit. So just in general, how would you describe the production pipeline, Cassie? Okay. So, I mean, it depends on if it's 2D, CG, or stop motion. Again, like you said, like they're pretty much basically the same, just in a different medium. But for all of them, it starts with, you know, development and then writing. And then once the script is at record draft, you know, it kind of splits into usually about three different paths. So one is it goes to record with the voice actors and then it gets edited by the sound engineer and then it's sent back to the studio to give out to the storyboard artists who then board it all out. But while that's happening, design also gets the voices in the script and they start designing everything. And it's important along the pipeline as well that everyone is given the reference material that they need. So storyboard artists really need designs by the time they start or along the way. Because like sometimes, oh, this background isn't designed, but don't worry, it's not until page 10 and I'll get to that in like two, three weeks or something. Depending on how long storyboards are given to do their boards, it varies per show. But like with design, what was this character cast as? A, a female or a male, right? Or is it a monster? Or is it like a non-gendered thing? So like you need to know those things before you go into design. So there's all these things happening, but, um, and again, it varies. <laughs> But once storyboards are done, then it goes off into animatic. And some studios, I think, do revisions before animatic. But on some shows I've worked on, the revisions happen throughout animatic and throughout the end of the storyboard pass. But animatic goes to execs, get notes back, fix it, send it back, notes finish it, and then you have a shipping animatic. And then production does a few things, and the directors do a few things, like giving like notes and like all this reference material, like all the designs. Everything needs to go to the animating studio wherever it is. For the shows I've worked on, it's always been like out of the country. <laughs> um, a lot of places are in India or Myanmar, etc. And then overseas, or our outsourced studio has their own pipeline of their own. So for like a CG show, you would get a layout pass that the directors would, or the retake director would have to make notes on. Um, I believe on the 2D show I worked on, we had just received rough animation that got noted. And then we went straight into the retake process. And basically the retake process is you get a V1 of all of the animation, retake director or the director of the episode gives notes it gets sent back to the animating studio if it needs to be revised. Um, if it's approved, it's approved and you're done and you give it to your final uh, picture editor, which is different than an animatic editor. Sometimes an animatic editor will just roll into final, but um, usually they're separate positions. And then once you get all of your shots approved in animation, you start receiving lighting. And a lot of this is happening like all at once, because once animation is approved, it goes straight into lighting. But once you get all your lit, all your lit scenes, then you basically, you're done. The final picture editor works with like a technical director or um, someone who can do like fixes and stuff. Cause like some fixes and revisions are not worth sending over to the outsource studio. Cause there's, cause some of the studios, English is not their first language. So sometimes it's more difficult to explain what you need 
or it would just be more financially smart for you over here to fix it mm -hmm. if it's small. And so, um, you know, that's like a creative decision made by the director or the, you know, showrunner, whoever is making that decision in that part of your show. So, and once you get all your lit shots, you your final picture editor, the one we have on Poppy is really great and like add some like solar flares or like last minute edit fixes to make it like really pop. You know, sometimes there's like, what is it called? Like a gradient along the sides to pull more focus to something. Like if the background's like way too colorful, you know, you never know. So like their um, additions are very helpful in making the final picture just like seeing. But once that happens, depending on the studio, there's like a quality check pass. Like, um, so you'd send it to the execs or the studio. Um, you also have to pass a certain test to get it on broadcast, I believe. Um, again, it depends on, you know, the type of media you're making. Are we talking I mean, like S&P type No, because like S&P gives notes when execs give notes along the way mm -hmm. in most cases. But like, what test is it where you, it's checking for seizures or like for oh, flashing. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, Oh, like, like epilepsy-like tests? Yeah, because there are, and maybe I'm, like, misremembering, but I feel like they're, that's part of quality check. Oh, my gosh. Where they're okay. checking their, shoot, I don't remember the type of graph it is, but I remember our final picture editor, it had, like, a graph on one screen that kind of shows you, like, if the colors or, like, the cuts are too rapid so that they can make sure that we're probably going to pass this, you know, test so we can go to air. Do you know if that's a new thing? I didn't know no, that No, I don't think that. I don't think it's a new thing. I mean, huh. because like if you're cutting too quickly, mm -hmm. like it mm -hmm. could cause, you know, some people to have a seizure. Wow. You okay. know, so you have to not have fast cuts or flashes of light, you know. I feel like it could possibly be why in The Incredibles 2 the um you know the, oh, the hypnotist yeah like i feel like that's why it was kind of slower and choppier mm. rather than super fast yeah i was wondering about that with incredibles too because i love that scene but i remember watching it going i wonder if they have have any because i saw a screening of it and i just remember wondering if at the movie theaters if they had to have some kind of seizure warning for people or if they had to give some kind of notice to parents or anything like that but from what you're saying, it sounds like if they do it in a certain way, I guess no. They um, didn't have one at first with Incredibles. I remember like, that was yeah, a thing. They and had then they added in, in afterwards because uh, people were complaining. Okay. Yeah. So I just Googled it and I couldn't find the name of the test, but it's basically color changes in TV. Like if it's too rapid or too, too quickly changes from one to another, then that can cause some problems for people. So like it has to pass like this, this test before it can go to air. Okay. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. Someone else who knows better, please email <laughs> Angela. Yeah, actually, I would love to know the name of it because I, I don't love, remember. I would love to know that too. So listeners out there, if you have any experience with that type of thing at all, let us know because that's <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, so they're very, you know, specific about what they're putting on TV in most cases. And yeah, but that's pretty much the end. And then it goes to air, you know. Yeah, and from what you've described, that's pretty similar to how things work on Loud House, too. The only difference with us being that we actually do boards before we do designs, but what they'll do a lot of times, especially for heavier episodes, and by heavy I mean new places or lots of new things, is they'll have some preliminary designs created. Mm -hmm. So the design team might make a schematic of something, for example, 
or they might have some character ideas in mind or they'll say, hey, these are already designed, use this. Yeah. But they'll do the boards first and then they'll do the designs second. I know that different shows do different things because yeah. I've talked to people that some shows that's how they do, other shows they do designs and then boards. I think it's just dependent on what the showrunner wants seems to be the consensus mm-hmm. or what the showrunner and the art director decide amongst themselves. Yeah, and sometimes the choices are made before them when, like, things happen and go wrong. Like, during, you know, you kind of evolve along the way. So, because in the beginning, uh, we were doing designs first, but because when you get into the storyboard, sometimes you just don't know what you're going to need to change to make a scene work. So then, like, a lot of designs ended up getting redesigned or, like, kind of, like, just changed a little bit to match the board mm-hmm. and right after the storyboard was turned in. So we do a preliminary pass and we do a post-pass. So post-storyboard pass, pre-storyboard. We've done changes, too, if they end up bringing in somebody new to record. Mm-hmm. And we go, oh, cool. Okay, let's design the character to be more like this. So mm-hmm. that's happened, too. But for the most part... That's pretty much it. And we just want to let people know because, again, they don't share that in school. And as far as the production side goes, you typically have your production assistants who help the production coordinators. And then you have the production managers who figure out the timeline and the finances for everything. And then you'll have either your associate producer or your line producer and then the producer. And that's important to note because for most of you out there, your first job is most likely going to be the intern or PA level. And for the union jobs or the union studios, legally you're not allowed to do art as an intern or as a PA unless you're doing freelance work that's outside of your job. So you're not gonna be drawing. So it's important to know how the pipeline works because you're gonna be taking notes and doing spreadsheets. So it's just good to know this is how things operate because you're going to have to be able to assign the designs, assign the boards to the artists. You're going to be going to the meetings, taking notes. You're going to be noting what the network executives say, what SMP says. I know some PAs and coordinators that are in those retake sessions, so you're going to be taking notes during that time to have to report back to make sure that if they do need to change a design or the board, it gets fixed. So it's just good to know. And it can be mind-numbing, especially in retakes, like taking all those notes, but... So one thing I've seen bite people in the butt is like under communicating. I feel like in production context is key to give whether you're going to your producer, your manager or an artist like I need this like yesterday. It's like, no, when do you think you can have this done? Hear what they have to say and then be like, cool. We were hoping it would be done by end of day. Do you think you could try, you know, like having some flexibility and compassion in the way you approach people is very helpful. And if you go to someone with like bad news, have a solution that you think could work. Because if you're always like, it's all burning and I have no way to fix it, no one's going to react well no, to they, that. No, they won't react. People won't say, everything's on fire. And you're like, what? Like, that's yeah. a good way to freak people out. Don't be that person. Yeah, so always think of what a solution that you would do, even if they don't go with it. It just shows that like you're a problem solver and people want to work with problem solvers. And to your point of communicating, CC people. Yes. Because then, one, then everyone is aware. So that, two, everyone is aware. Because if you're just talking one-on-one with somebody and then they forget or you're out sick or you're at a meeting, it's just between the two of you and nobody else knows, so nobody knows what's going on. So I know on our production, like, 
we CC all of production. Mm -hmm. If we have to talk to one of the directors, you know, we'll also CC the revisionist or we'll CC the art director and the designer. And it's mm -hmm. not because we don't think they can do a good job because we know they can do a good job because mm -hmm. they've proven themselves. You know, we're in season four now, so they know what they're doing. It's more so that everyone knows, so that everyone is aware, so that if anybody has questions, there's multiple points of contact they can ask. It's not just funneling down to just one person who, if they're mm -hmm. not in the office that day, you're toast. Yeah. I also feel like in that same vein is there's some people who want to feel like if I was out sick, this would all collapse. But you have to build your team, you mm -hmm. know, and you work as a team if you're removed you don't want the show to fail, I yeah. would hope. So, like, you would want everyone to know what you had been doing and what the next person needs to do, et cetera. I just feel like the CCing thing, some people are like, I don't want to, like, fill up your inbox. but That's what production's for. I know. Filling <laughs> the inboxes. Like, you know, a lot of the things I'm CC'd on, I don't, I don't always need to be, but then what, that one person comes to you and asks you for this thing, and you're like, I remember an email about this let me go search my <laughs> inbox and it's so valuable yeah yeah i can speak to it because i was out sick for a couple of days and it's a really good feeling to know that we're all working together as one big unified team we're not a fiefdom we're not mm -hmm. ooh odd episodes versus even episodes go it's like no we all work together and we all help each other and if one person is out or has something going on, then the others know exactly what's going on and the whole thing won't just collapse. Yeah. Because that's the point. It's not to show, I'm the best without me, all of you will fail. It's like, no, that's silly. Mm -hmm. And if that's your attitude, there's other things at play here. So <laughs> I recommend working on that with yourself. But yeah. it's just important for, it's important for everybody to know. That's a healthy production. Yeah. A healthy production, people know what's going on. People know what their role is. People know when things are due. People know when they should turn in things. People understand if stuff isn't coming in on time and they work to fix it. Yeah. And, and to kind of just summarize what production is, if you're still slightly confused, <laughs> production people, assistants, coordinators, managers, etc., like they're there to take care of the more administrative duties and supporting tasks that um, we want the artist to not worry about. We move a storyboard from board to animatic. Well, not at every studio, but some studios have the assistants and stuff export stuff to the next part of the production pipeline. So I always felt like we're the grease <laughs> that kind of makes it move forward. And there's been... Like I've witnessed in the past for myself and people I know in production where like we can sometimes get treated a little differently than the artists, which is unfortunate because I feel like we're all on the t same team and want the same success for our shows. But I feel like we can't do it without each other. This is true. And just Jeff and I say this often on the podcast. Treat people with respect. Number one, because you're being a good human. Number two, no one ever leaves the industry. It's like rock and roll high school. You will see all these people for the rest of your life. So if you're a jerk to somebody, they will remember. And then one day you'll be working with them again. You'll need a job and they'll remember you. And they'll remember if you were kind or if you were cruel. So just be a good person and be kind because people don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> I don't say that as a threat. I say that just so you guys are just aware. Just be cool people overall. Production's <laughs> real nice. 
Yay! You guys are really helpful. Yeah, I think, and you guys do exactly what explained, and it's it's definitely really helpful on the artist side because you tell me exactly when things are due, and it's like cool. I know when things are due. I know when I have to get stuff done, and it's like I don't have to think about. It's like that part of my brain is like taken care of because. Mm-hmm. You guys got us on schedule and happy and like we have little parents keeping us in line. And like what I find really helpful too is that you guys, you guys have like a really great memory about everything. Like since you've seen every episode, every script and you guys are in all the design meetings, I can just go up to production people and be like, I need a thing to solve my problem. Like my character has to go from A to B and I need a thing what things do we have? And then they're just like, oh, here's all the things you could use for that. Here's a design for it. And I'm just like, oh, thank you, thank you. Like, this is exactly what I needed. And then I run with it and I go and I put it in my board. So the entire like show is in production's brain and you can pick the brain for whatever you need. And they're always so grateful to help. And it's nice. It's just nice to have your guys' support. So I really appreciate production and production people. Yeah, thank you. So Cassie and Katya, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and sharing about marriage and family and the production pipeline. Is there anything else that y'all would like to add? Yes. I would say that I've witnessed a lot of women get, in quotes, stuck in production. And I think it's just interesting that like a lot of women are in production while there's still a lot of creative roles that are filled by men. And like things are getting better, we see it. Our studio is like more women than men actually at Wild Canary. But at other studios I've worked at, it's the opposite. And I would just wanna say to anyone of any gender in production that are kind of feeling like they're settling, they can do it. They just have to say what they want and like make steps towards, you know, transitioning into the creative if that's what they really want. But if you want to stay in production, that's cool. Nothing's wrong with production. <laughs> but I just know a lot of people like wish they would have pushed harder, you know, later in their career, like people I've encountered and stuff. So I always keep that in mind whenever I'm like, I like this. I like writing. <laughs> you know, like there's so many times that I, I felt like settling because I think I would make a great producer. But I think I have more things to say as a writer in the industry. Good words, good words. Yeah. So whatever you want to do, just keep striving for what it is that you want to do. Yes. And just keep doing, but also do a good job where you're at. Do a good job where you're at and people will want to help you. Yep. And find those good things. I think as far as like family life things, find your balance and like stick to it. Like be committed to what you've decided works for you and your family as you work in the industry. Like if you want it to be really important that at six o'clock you go home like you stick to it and you make sure that don't let anyone kind of like bully you or push you into being like oh we really need these overtime hours or whatever be like no you know what my family is important and I'm gonna go home and I can do my job within my work hours so just know what you want and kind of similar know what you want and stick to it but within your family boundaries as well because if you have a family they're pretty important to you and some time that you lose you can't get back so Mm -hmm. yeah I agree with that. And I would also add that, like, it evolves. Like, your priorities evolve as you expand your life or, you know, as Melody grows up, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like Matt and I, like, because we're not without problems in our marriage and we work through them as they come up and over-communicate. 
but like we're evolving as people every day and I feel like to make our marriage work we're actively choosing to be in the marriage if that makes sense Mm -hmm. because like we'll be okay as separate people too but we want to spend our life together so we just try to work through everything and have compassion towards each other and evolve together rather than apart that is excellent advice so thank you very much for that and I want to ask if you could talk a little bit about your podcast because as we said up top you guys are actually covering a lot of this in your podcast right now so (laughs) could you tell people a little bit about that yeah so ink and pink girls as you mentioned earlier is um, a podcast where we focus on celebrating women in the industry Katya and I have started this family and marriage kind of series. We just call it, I think, Parenthood and Animation, Parenting and Animation. (laughs) And it's releasing among the regular episodes. It'll be ongoing. So far, uh, we've had an interview with Bill Robinson and his wife, Micah May, and the family subcommittee that I mentioned. And we also have a QA and a where um, we just answered a listener's questions. But we have a few coming up that are really exciting. We have Pragya Tomar, who is a CG artist at Nickelodeon. Terry Cusimano, who is an art director. And Paula Spence, who is also an art director. So mm-hmm. people who have been in the industry a long time <laughs> and have figured it out. So they're very inspiring. And they make me feel a little less anxious about having a family. It's good to hear people talk about their lives because then you're like, okay, I'm not crazy for feeling anxious, yeah. <laughs> you know? like Our conversations have been just asking them what their process has been and, you know, from beginning, you know, pregnancy all the way through working and having your child and everybody has a completely different path. Everyone has a different way that they've done it, that they battle, you know, the daycare, childcare situation or, yeah, and so... It's been really great to talk to everybody from such different perspectives, and I look forward to continuing to hear from more people and lots Mm of get more well-rounded experience in how everyone does it in the industry. Me too. And like I mentioned, Bill Robinson and Micah May. So Bill's a guy, obviously. (laughs) But so we're we're wanting to interview all types of families, those with kids, those without. I would love to interview people in a same-sex marriage to see how they've navigated the studios and benefits in raising children while working in the industry, too. Mm-hmm. So that's my wish list, if you know anyone. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. So where can people find both of you online? I'm at Cassie Soliday on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Katia Bowser Art on Instagram, Twitter, I think Facebook, too. Katya Bazaar art everywhere. Excellent. Yes. And where can Smart. people find the podcast? <laughs> At inkandpaintgirls.com. And then you can find it from there on iTunes and Stitcher. Excellent. Well, thank you both very much. Great to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Yay. Angela. Thanks for having us. And that concludes today's interview. Special thanks again to Katya and Cassie for being wonderful guests. Very much enjoyed having both of you on the show. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a five-star review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And you can also check out the show on Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. And you can support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal donation button and leaving a donation. All of your donations enable us to pay for the hosting costs associated with keeping the show up and running. And to see what else is going on in the world of animation, make sure to check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, the site is theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com, 
and on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at AnimJourney. And to see what Jeff has been up to lately, make sure to visit his website, www.jeffbot.com. That's J-E-F-B-O-T. On Tumblr, the site is jeffbot.tumblr.com. On Twitter, the handle is at jeffbot. And on Instagram, the handle is at shootsy. And that's S-H-O-O-T-Z-E-E. And to see what I've been up to lately, make sure to check out my website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, the site is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram, the handle is at sketchysoul. So tune in next time for another part of our mini-series, Your Animated Life. And until then, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody.